Welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, Ministry of Greater Worship Christian Church here in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Apostle Robert Enos. Here we will talk about doctrine and theology, politics, social and cultural issues, and how the church is to respond and face these issues. Get ready for a large dose of truth and get ready to have your tables flipped. As a friend just told me recently, Table Flippers is flipping awesome. Matthew 19, verses 12 and 13. Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Robert Dinas, of the Table Flippers podcast. Today I would like to flip some more tables. If you've been following along in the last two episodes... Of this podcast, I dealt with the end time, and the very last one, I dealt with where the end time eschatology has taught in most churches, especially in America, really comes from the roots of it. And if you didn't hear that one, please get to that after you listen to this one, of course, and find out the roots of that doctrine. But as I just read here in Matthew 19, these are the words of Jesus in a parable that he told about what we consider what we call end time, from the time that Jesus was on the earth, left, and then comes back, which we understand is the second coming. He uh, delivered to his servants these minas, which represent gifts and talents and abilities, and he says to them, do business, do business till I come. And he spoke of himself as being one like a certain nobleman. That meaning, you know, a landowner, somebody very wealthy, somebody very powerful. And he says, do business until I come. So the understanding of that would be do my business until I come. Do the things that I have done until I come. Now, when I just say this in this regard, most Christians won't have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah, we're supposed to be doing that. Then why all the nonsense? Why all the nonsense? Well, I'm going to talk to you again today about uh, the end time uh, doctrines as we know it in most churches today. And I just want to say this. If you haven't heard the last two podcasts, I'm just going to, you know, I'll just jump to the chase. It's, it's false doctrine. We have been lied to. Many of us have been fooled. I know for many years I was fooled until I actually started looking at the Bible and took it for what it says, just like what I just read here, do business until I come. So let's get into this. Let me just share with you some of the problems that I see with this end time doctrine, what it does to the body of Christ. Okay, so so before I get into that, I, I want to read something to you. All right, um, the Bible tells us this in John chapter 8, verse 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth is shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's strange to me that we have this false doctrine going on in the church world today that most Christians, unfortunately, have bought into because it's taught in most every Bible school, Bible college, and most every uh, pastor and pulpit preaches this to their people. 
And so because of this, this is a huge lie that's been perpetrated and pushed on the body of Christ. And we still have this verse that says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And many people are in such bondage over this false doctrine that we call end time theology or end time doctrine in such bondage that they've become so accustomed to the bondage because it's so widespread that they don't even realize that they're in bondage. But you should always look at the fruit of something, whether it be a doctrine, a job, somebody's, uh, um, the way they live, always look at the fruit, fruit of somebody's ministry, and because that's what really determines the validity of whatever you're looking at. In this case, a doctrine, an overall doctrine. You look at the fruit. So what has the end time doctrine as it's been taught, the futurist end time doctrine as it's been taught in most churches, what is the fruit of it? And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today and just share with you from my own perspective and what I have seen and noticed. And I'll just be honest, if you're honest with yourself, you will admit that you've seen these same issues, whether you've whether you've actually seen it as a problem or not is another thing is another issue, but I know you've seen these things and probably experienced them yourself. So let's get into this. Some of the problems with the eschatology or the end time doctrine as it's taught today. This is not in any order, any particular order. I just literally sat down and started typing up some of the problems that I see. So I'll just read it as I put it. It leads to wrong action on the part of the church. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean by that. So For many years, like I've said in a previous podcast, and I still stick to it today, for the past 50 years, I'm 56 years old, and I can remember hearing all of this since I was a small child. So for at least 50 years, I've been hearing that Jesus is coming back any minute now. And what I've seen, and when I was a kid, I just thought all these things were normal. But what I've seen is people engaged in in very little true activity that Jesus commanded us to be involved in. The the primary thing that people are running around doing for the last 50 years is trying to get people saved. And most every sermon that I've heard is salvation messages. And I don't need that because I'm already saved. And if you go to and been attending a church for any length of time, I certainly hope you are saved And yet we have churches that every Sunday is a salvation message to the same people that have been saved. And many of those same people, maybe you uh, have done this yourself, have been up to the altar several times saying the sinner's prayer as if the last time you said it, it didn't stick. I'm telling you, this type of doctrine leads to wrong actions for the church. And it leads to lopsided doctrines. Okay, so... And it leads to this. Now, please don't misunderstand. I am very big on evangelism, very big on getting people saved. But at the same time, I understand that's not the only thing we're supposed to do in the church. As a matter of fact, let me read this to you. It's uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. You might know this as the Great Commission. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, "'All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth.'" Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them 
to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice in here, nowhere in the Great Commission, nowhere in this command, nowhere in this discourse did Jesus ever tell us to make converts. He said make disciples, and never did he tell us to make even disciples of individuals. He said of nations. Now, why is this important? Because I do understand that a person must be converted before they can become a disciple. But we have focused, at least in my lifetime for the last 50 plus years, solely on evangelism and not on discipleship. So we've had many, many, many people come to the altar and say the sinner's prayer and it begins there and it stops there. And we have failed to make disciples of even and the individuals that come up, let alone nations. See, and a lot of people are looking at what's going on in the world right now, you know, what the devil's doing and saying, see, Jesus has to be coming back because we see plagues. He has to be coming back because we had COVID. He has to be coming back because there was a hurricane. Well, he has to be coming back because there's a war. Oh, and there's a rumor of a war. So he has to be coming back. Never look at what the devil is doing to determine what God is going to do. Always look at the word of God and then find God doing that word openly before you make your decision. See, I don't base the these times on what the devil is doing. I know there's some terrible things happening out there. So what? We've had terrible things happen throughout all of our history. From the since Adam and Eve ate the fruit, we've had bad things happen in the earth. And listen, Mussolini wasn't the Antichrist bringing the end. Hitler wasn't the Antichrist bringing the end. Bill Clinton, he may have, you know, fit the bill somewhat, but wasn't the Antichrist ushering in the end. And all of these things that we point to, oh, this must be the end. Oh, that must be the end. Oh, that must be the end. All of them have failed to this point. So stop looking at the negative to try to determine what God is doing or our prophetic timeline. Start looking at what the church is or is not fulfilling. Look at the fruit of the church. That's what should determine what's going on. And the church, at least, I'm not saying every church, your church might be doing a fantastic job. I'm talking about the church world overall. We have failed in the Great Commission because we have been trying to make converts of individuals instead of disciples of, of nations. And it also goes on to say baptizing them. So let's, let's use that word more about the definition than the actual word. Immersing and completely overwhelming nation in the name of the Father, meaning overwhelm nations with everything that Father God has and is or will ever be, and everything that the Son has, is, or will ever be, and everything that Holy Spirit has, is, or will ever be. We have not fulfilled the Great Commission until we have overwhelmed, completely submerged nations in everything that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, has, and will ever be. That's what it means to make a disciple. And Jesus went on to say, teaching them, not individuals, nations, 
teaching entire nations, entire people groups to observe all the things that Jesus commanded us. And then he says, I am with you even to the end of the age. So not only is this a commission, a command, go do this, go do this. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you are to be doing this. But this is also uh, can be considered a prophecy because Jesus is with us until the end of the age. Why, why would he say that? Because this is as a prophetic commission. It's a commission, go do this, but it's also a prophecy that must be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus cannot come back until nations have been discipled and everything that the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit has, is, and will ever be is poured into that nation, and we teach them everything Jesus taught. Well, we haven't fulfilled that, and Jesus can't come back. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I am so sick and tired of hearing these preachers badgering and bashing on the people and telling them, get ready, Jesus is coming back. Go get your neighbor. Go get... We should be evangelizing. We should be doing these things, but not out of this knee-jerk, fear-driven nonsense that's permeated the body of Christ for, a, for well over 50 years of my lifetime. This has been going on for approximately 200 years now. Remember, we're supposed to be gauging uh, even doctrine by the fruit. What does it produce? And, and this doctrine has not produced anything good. As a matter of fact, it has produced failed prediction after failed prediction after failed prediction and you would think that after so many failed predictions that we the people of god would sit, stand back and say wait a minute this every prediction based in this doctrine what we know is end time doctrine every prediction has failed has failed that's the fruit of this doctrine Failed prediction after failed prediction after failed prediction. I'm not talking about what the Bible clearly says. I'm talking about what the teachers and the prognosticators say based in this doctrine. And it's failed over and over and over again. And so with such a uh, you know a failure rate, why are we still listening to this? Pre pre preachers and pastors, why are you still pushing this? I know why. I know why. Because fear sells. You are getting something from pushing this fear. And how do I know fear sells? Go look at how much money has been made uh, pushing these books with all these predictions and all this discussion of end time in it and all the predictions because of it and that, that even fail. And all they got to do is scrap that book, basically change a few things like some dates, republish it with a cool new cover, and then make another million dollars off of it. And this has been done over and over and over and over again with um, tape series and video series and, and even um, movies and, and kind of television type of movies and videos and books and articles and seminars and conferences. And all of them have failed on one level or another. And when I say on one level or another, I mean major failure not small things. Anyways, so the problems with this eschatology, this end time doctrine is at least to wrong action on part of the church. And it's based in fear. I know I already touched upon this. And fear is not of God. Listen, any doctrine or any teaching that leads God's people into fear, 
is false doctrine by virtue of the fear. Because in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And the end-time theology, as is taught, does not lead to a sense of power and love and a sound mind. As a matter of fact, it robs us of a sound mind because it causes us to be in fear. And anytime we're inundated with fear, we do not have a sound mind. And people are start, start living out of and acting out of fear. Fear of what's coming. Fear of missing the rapture. Fear of the Antichrist. Fear of a global crash. Fear of not having food, not having money. Fear of all of these things. They're going to come and chop my head off. Fear, 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 fear. Well, based in that, that's just false doctrine. Come on, church. That's false doctrine. So it's based in fear. It keeps people from planning for the future since they don't think they'll have one. Now, this is a big one for me because I remember back when I was a kid growing up, um, I was in high school and I really hated high school a lot. I didn't want to go to school. As a matter of fact, um, I wanted to drop out of school and just, I don't know, I don't know what I was going to do. Just drop out of school and <clears throat> do my thing. And I stayed in school and I graduated mainly just because I didn't want to let my mom and dad down. But I had been grown, I grew up in the church. So I hear I heard again all my life that Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. We're just going to be raptured out of here any day now, any day now. I remember back in the 80s, hey, by 1981, he's going to come back. Oh, wait, wait, 1988, he's going to come back. And I kept hearing these things and hearing these things. And I was a child of the 80s. I was in high school in the 80s. I graduated in 84. So early on, 81, 82, 83, I'm thinking, I don't have a future. I'm going to be raptured out of here. Why do I need my diploma? If I'm just going home, if I'm getting out of here, if I'm going to heaven, Jesus is going to just snatch me up and I'm going. What, what am I doing wasting all my time and effort and energy getting this piece of paper that's, that, that's going to be wasted? This is a waste of time. And because I was a kid, I just wanted to leave school, get like a job, and just have fun until Jesus got, got here. And, and I didn't go to college at that time. Same reason. Oh, okay, well, they missed it. He didn't come back in 88. But hey, he can come back in 90 or 91 or 92. Remember, we're still being told Jesus can come back any minute now. No man knows the day nor hour. This is what I was told. The Bible says no man knows the day nor hour of Jesus' return. But it didn't say we didn't know the year. So they kept putting dates on years. He'll come back in this year. He'll come back in this year. He'll come back in this year. And they... And they failed every time that they predicted this. And people like me. Now, you might be thinking, well, that was just your, you were just a punk kid and that was just the excuse you're making. And you're absolutely right. I was a punk kid and that was my excuse. But nonetheless, based upon what I was being told and what I heard all my life, it was a pretty good excuse. Why waste time getting a college education if I wasn't going to be around to use it? And if it was just me, honestly, if it was just me, I wouldn't even use this in this. But I have spoken to many people older than me, some of them younger than me, but have the same testimony. And that's not a good testimony. They have told me the same things. I did not prepare for my future because I didn't think we would be here. I Some people that were just like super, uh, you know, they were Christians, they were super saints. 
they, they said, all I was concerned with doing was getting to the streets to get people saved. And I figured that's all we had to do just to get that last soul into heaven before Jesus came back. And they're telling me that was 40 years ago and we're still here. And most of those people I've lost track of. I don't know where they're at. I don't know what they're doing because I didn't think we had time to really spend time with them and grow them up in the things of the Lord. They were saved. That's all they needed. They were going to make the rapture. That's it, that's all they needed. And I've talked to several people that had those types of testimonies. I've talked to people that, that got into alcohol, got into drugs, got into illicit sex because they were, they, they were young, foolish, but young. And they were saying, Jesus is coming back any minute. I don't have a future. Let me just go party now. Let me just go get it out. Let me have some fun now. I need to just have some fun. Just give me a year or two to have fun. And then they get all wrapped up in this lifestyle. They get addicted to drugs addicted to alcohol, they get into bad relationships, uh, things of that nature, and now their life is a mess, all based upon this doctrine, this doctrine. Now, again, you can be pointing out, and you would be true if you said this. Well, that's just foolishness on your guys' part, to which I would say you are absolutely right. But it was foolishness based on false doctrine. Foolishness based in false doctrine. That's the fruit of this failed doctrine. Ladies and gentlemen, help me here. Another problem that I see with this, uh, again, end time eschatology doctrine is it's used to manipulate the people of God. Actually, it's just used to manipulate people in general, but the people that usually get manipulated the most with this is the people of God. Let me, let me explain to you. I've heard this. You've probably heard this or something very similar to it. Yeah, we're going to take up a lot of money. We're going to take up a lot of money. I need you to send your money. Send your thousand. Send your two thousand. God's going to bless you abundantly because this is for the end time harvest. If you don't give now, people may not be saved. And if you give me your thousand dollars or your two thousand dollars, I can use that to go get people saved so they don't miss the rapture and they can be in heaven with you. You don't even have to meet these people, but you will certainly meet them in heaven because with your giving, you know that when you get to heaven, somebody's going to approach you and they're going to say, thank you for giving because I I'm here because you gave your thousand dollars. Do you know what that is? Manipulation. Because again, what's the fruit of it? We are still here. And the Bible never told us to make converts only, but to disciple nations. And they give this knee jerk push to manipulate God's people. Or here's another one. Okay. Heard this. We even used to sing songs about this. People get ready. Jesus is coming. That somehow, some way, your salvation isn't enough to make the rapture. So you had to be ready. And part of being ready is do whatever your pastor tells you to do, when he tells you to do it, how he tells you to do it. Because if you don't do it exactly the way that church leader told you to do it, you're in rebellion and rebellion can keep you from um, making the rapture. So when the rapture bus shows up, you're not even at the bus stop. That's all, again, manipulation. And do you know what manipulation and control in that sense of manipulation really is? It's a type of witchcraft. Witchcraft is based upon and in manipulation. And there's just as much, man, man, just as much manipulation going on in the church from the pulpit and just as much witchcraft in the church from the pulpit than there are in these false religious sects of witchcraft and Wicca and such. 
And if you don't believe me, just take an honest look, stand back, and think, how many sermons have you heard using the end time pitch about you missing it if you don't do something that they ask you to do? That's again, manipulation. Another problem with this is, and I already touched upon this, but every prediction based in this doctrine has failed. How do I know this? We're here. Every prediction, especially about dates that Jesus is going to return by this time, or the rapture is going to happen by this time, or this is going to take place by this time, all of them have failed. We're still here. We are still here. And here's another big one, a big problem with this end time doctrine as it's taught. It leads to other doctrines and ministries that are out of balance such as, and again, I, I touched upon a little bit, but such as churches that evangelize only. They evangelize only. Well, in the Great Commission, it had very little to do with evangelism, but everything to do with teaching. And I've been in the churches where I, I, would, I would go in, visit a church, and I would sit there, and I would hear an hour-long sermon that was a salvation sermon. Now, most Christians today will say, though, that's a good thing. Get people saved. Wait a minute. Listen, the church house was never supposed to be used for evangelism in that regard. Now, if you have evangelism crusade, that's different. But on your typical Sunday morning, that is to build the saints primarily. Not that unbelievers can't come in, but the saints of God, that's the gathering of the saints. So if in your congregation you say have just 100 people and all of them are saved, why are you trying to get them saved again and again and again? Let me tell you something, pastors. You need to hear this, and I want you to think about this seriously. If you preach to the same group of people week after week after week after week after week, and you still think that they're not saved, well, then you've been failing them all this time. Because if your lifestyle, your ministry, your love hasn't led them to Jesus and they've been with you for some time, you have failed them. Quit preaching salvation to the saved. Quit preaching salvation to the saved. For the same reason, you don't get fish in the ocean a glass of water. They don't need it. They're surrounded by it. They're in it. Quit preaching salvation to the saved. If you want to get people saved, go where the unsaved are. Go in the highways and the byways. Go in the marketplace. Go into the streets. Go into the parks. Go into those places. But on Sunday morning, unless, again, it's a special service just for this, you're preaching to the saved. Now you have those who are saints in your building. Teach them something. Teach Teach, teach, and train them in righteousness. They're already saved. But you see, when you got a church that's always preaching salvation only, including on Sunday mornings, always salvation, always salvation, always salvation, it is out of order. It is lopsided. It's not well-rounded. Get your team and go out to the streets on Saturday, get them saved, bring them in on Sunday, and then teach them, train them, build them up in that manner. And the final thing that I just want to touch upon, well, maybe not, I might have something else, is one of the biggest problems, again, is it keeps people from fulfilling the Great Commission, which we already talked about, but it really does keep people from fulfilling the Great Commission. 
Why? Because we have this idea that we don't have time to teach people. We don't have time to disciple individuals, let alone nations. Let's just go ahead and get some people saved so that when Jesus shows up, at least they're saved and they can go to heaven. They may not know a lot, but they're going to heaven. How has that worked in the last 50 years? Let me tell you how it's not worked, at least in my lifetime. Churches, the church overall in America is not growing. It's not growing. It's actually shrinking in number. And Part of it, the reason why it's not growing, and you say, well, of course it's growing. Look at all these people that are getting saved. No, no, no. Salvation is not your growth. That gets you in the door. Your growth is when you can see that a person is consistent with their church life, serving God, serving the local church. So if all you're doing is getting people to say that sinner's prayer and you don't get them planted and discipled, there's no real church growth. Not even in numbers. Because, I mean, think about it. some of you that have, say, got a lot of people saved. Where are they? Where are they? Do you, are they in your church? Do you still have a relationship with them? Are you actively involved in discipling them? Where are they? Very few Christians, very few pastors, very few ministers could actually say, yes, everyone that I lead to the Lord, I am or have discipled. Most can't say that because... It's not happening. They just, they write down a number. We got 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 or 10,000 people saved. And not one church in that area grows because of it. That's a tragedy because we're not ever called to make converts only. We are called to disciple nations and overwhelm them in everything that God has and teach them everything Jesus taught. There's a story in, in Luke chapter 18 about a widow and an unjust judge. And most of you know this story. The widow keeps going to this judge. She's, she's, she needs help from her adversaries and the judge is not willing to give it to her at first, but she just keeps coming, keeps coming and wears him down. So finally he just says, fine, I'm gonna give it to her to get her off my back. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And in verse eight of Luke 18, it says this. Now this is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. This is because what Jesus does is he turns, he says, listen, this is an unjust judge who gave this woman what she came for just to basically get her off his back. But how much more your heavenly father will bless you or answer your prayers because he loves you. So this is where we pick up the story. He says, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he really find faith on the earth. Well, that's based also or akin to Matthew 19, where he says, do business until I come. You see, faith, we think, oh, it's just believing in Jesus. It goes far beyond that. That's where it begins, but it goes far beyond that. Faith can be summed up in faithfulness. Are you faithful to the Lord? And a lot of people, most Christians will say, yeah, I'm faithful to the Lord. I go to church. I give tithe. I pray. You know, I I told my neighbor last month about Jesus. I'm faithful. And all of those things are good. But let me ask you this question in this sense. Are you faithful to the Great Commission? Are you faithful in discipling entire people groups and teaching those people groups everything that Jesus taught? And I, I'll be honest with you. And be honest with yourself. 
If you're not faithful in that, then it doesn't matter what else you are doing because you're not commissioned by God to do those other things in the same manner that you are commissioned to disciple nations. And so this end-time eschatology, as it's been taught, has basically duped us, lied to us, and trained us uh, falsely so that what we, we believe that we need to be on the streets telling people about Jesus every week instead of making disciples of the nations. Please don't get me wrong and don't anybody tell me he's against evangelism. He doesn't want people saved because I've been accused of that when I talk about these things and I've never said that. And if you listen to this podcast closely, you'll hear I'm not saying that. I'm saying that evangelism is very important to get people through the door. That's the first step to discipleship, but it should never, ever, ever stop there. It should never stop there. You should not tell anybody about Jesus unless you are willing to disciple them after they made that decision. If you're not willing to disciple them, then, then get behind somebody who will. Work with somebody who will. So if you're good at getting them saved, but they're good at discipling, you guys work together. You get them saved and bring them to this one over here who will disciple them correctly. And I'm talking about the individual. But we need to figure out how we can get entire people groups, nations, disciple and how we can get the teachings of Jesus Christ into these nations because that's the great commission and that is what this end time theology is keeping us from fulfilling be honest with yourselves think about this think about this and look at it very seriously oh one more one more thing that i want to talk about of why this uh, end time theology as it's being taught is so dangerous in the body of christ because it requires the teacher and even those who hear it to either take away from the Word of God or to add to the Word of God. Now, I wish I had time in this uh, episode to really get into that. I don't, so I won't. But let me just give you an example. In the book of Daniel, most of you know this, uh, I hope. If not, you can find this. But in the book of Daniel, um, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has this dream of this image that's set up. You remember the head of gold, the arms and chest of silver, the belly of bronze, and then the, the legs of um, was it iron, and then the feet and toes of iron and clay mixed. So he has this uh, dream, and he doesn't know what it means. So Daniel comes along and he, he shares that the head represents a kingdom, you, your, your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. The next kingdom that's to come is the chest and the arms. The next kingdom after that is the belly. The next kingdom of that is the legs of iron, which again represents the Roman Empire. And then the feet and the clay mixed together is the Roman Empire um, towards the end of its existence. Okay, now I, I bring that up because many end-time theology, most end-time the theologies, the teaching, doctrines, if you will, teach that between the legs of solid iron and the feet and toes of the iron and clay mixed, there's this 2,000-year prophetic gap. As a matter of fact, I believe you could probably Google that, 2,000-year prophetic gap, and it will bring you to that passage and tell you what it is. It's not in the book of Daniel. It's not in the text. It's not in the Bible. It's added by the opinionators, those who are teaching this and want to make that story, that portion of the Bible, fit their doctrine. They can't unless they 
add something that's not there. But let me share with you the danger of that, the bringing the opinions of man into the Word of God instead of just accepting it for what it says. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 32, it says, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. In Proverbs 30, verse 6, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Think about that. The Word of God tells us do not add to the Word of God because we'll get rebuked by God and we'll be found a liar. I just want to challenge some of you uh, Christians out there. Pastors, get ready for this because your people may be asking you this question. Find that passage in the Bible. And it's found in Daniel chapter 2. Just read the whole chapter, Daniel chapter 2. And you can read this story about Nebuchadnezzar's dream and how Daniel came and interpreted the dream and what it meant. So you find that. Take that to your pastor, if he or she teaches end-time theology. Take that passage, Daniel chapter 2, and, and ask them their viewpoint on it. And ask them if they see or if they teach or believe that there's a 2,000-year gap between the legs of iron, that kingdom, and the uh, feet and toes of iron and clay mixed. If they tell you that, yes, there's a 2,000-year gap in there or a gap in there, it's not in the scriptures, by the way. But if they say, "Well, it's there," it's 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 you know, it's just there because of whatever. They have added to the word of God, and by adding, they've actually taken away the truth of the word of God. And it says here that the Lord will rebuke them, and they are found a liar. You will know right then and there, ladies and gentlemen, whether or not you are under the leadership of deception and falsehood. You will know right then and there if your pastor, church leader, is a liar. Now, a lot of people will say it to me, you're just causing division, you're causing problems. No, I'm bringing about truth that makes us free. Because pastors, if this is what you teach, if you're teaching this falsehood that adds to the Word of God or takes away from the Word of God, then you need to stop, you need to repent, and you need to go tell your people that you were wrong. Because God's word is always right. And you need to start taking it for just what it says without adding to it or taking away from it. Let me read this out of Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. It says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Now it's speaking primarily of the book of Revelation. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. That's pretty heavy duty. And the book of Revelation is used often in end-time eschatology, end-time doctrine, as it's taught in America. Are they adding to it? Or are they taking away from it? You don't know. Most of us don't know unless we read it ourselves. But look look at this. If they add to it, God's going to add to them plagues. If they take away from it, God's taking them out of the book of life. And we know from Scripture that if your name is not in the book of life, you're not even saved. So is there a way that people can lose their salvation, pastors and preachers? Of course. Take away from the book of Revelation and you've lost your salvation. Now, again, somebody will hear this and say, oh, you're just being religious. You're just being religious. 
I'm telling you what the Word of God says. If this doesn't bring a little bit of sober-mindedness into this, I don't know what will. It's very strange to me what, why, um, not only what is being taught, but why it's being taught. Why has this doctrine been taught so much for so long and has so many holes in it and so many problems with it? We would never do this with any other doctrine. We teach the doctrine of salvation clearly and concisely because we can see it from Scripture clearly and concisely. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it because we don't have to. Those of you who believe in healing, which all of you should, it's the same thing. We teach healing because we can see it clearly in Scripture. We don't have to add. We don't have to take away. And we can say that for so many doctrines and so many concepts in the, in the Word of God. But when it comes to this end-time theology, we can't say that. It is full of holes. It's full of man's additions and man's uh, removal of truth to try to fit something that God never meant it to. Isn't that strange? It's about time we take a serious look at what's being taught from the pulpits in America, in our seminaries, in our colleges. It's time that we take a new look at this. Because I would hate to think that me as a preacher, ever I would put people under deception because I was teaching a false doctrine, taking away from Scripture or adding to Scripture. I would hate to think that there is a spirit of deception from my pulpit touching people's hearts, minds, and lives. And yet that's happening in so many churches and, and college classrooms all over America and the world now because of this doctrine that has failed over and over and over again. So I'm asking you, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm asking you, especially you church leaders, you preachers out there, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to be honest with God and honest with yourself and honest with the Word of God and stop teaching that nonsense and change it? Or are you going to continue just because, well, that's all you've known, that's what you were taught, so it's got to be true, or your favorite pastor or your favorite preacher taught you this, so you have to keep teaching it. Are you going to put God first, His Word first, or are you going to put your tradition or your pastor or your friend some of you are just, you need to humble yourself because you've been too proud because you knew it was wrong, but you kept pressing in because everybody around you believes it. And you don't want to be the oddball. You just need to repent, humble yourself, and start, start telling the truth. It is my hope and my prayer that we all can get beyond this and get down to that which makes us free. The truth. I hope you go and check out our merchandise page. We have hats, t-shirts, hoodies, and more. I just got in my own hat, and I've been wearing it, and I've been getting a lot of compliments on it. It's a fantastic hat. My daughter designed all of these, but we have hats, t-shirts, hoodies, and more. And if you go to tableflippers.com, that's tableflippers.com, and use freedom as your promo code, you'll get a discount. Fantastic stuff, beautiful stuff, and it'll help me, it'll help you. And together, we'll be flipping awesome. Thank you for joining us at Table Flippers Podcast. I'd really love to hear from you. Please look us up on the web at www 
gwcclancaster, one word, dot org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Or you can email me at gwccrobert at gmail.com. I'd really love to hear from you. Please let us know how we're doing. Keep all those comments coming. Until next time, you all have a great and a blessed day. <laughs>